This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. With that continued effort, we can we can definitely improve some things and change some things to make us get better. I've got good faith that that'll that'll happen. There was some pretty pretty good football at times today. I thought by us, uh, we didn't capitalize when we needed to. You know, it, it sucks to have that happen to you, to where you work your tail off for the whole entire game, and then all of a sudden, you know, you get it, you get it taken away from you. That, that was kind of my message, but we got to let it go now. It's in the past. Uh, you know, we got South, uh, South Alabama to look forward to. That was that was kind of my message. Was we just got to let it go. It happened. Uh, we let it happen. Um, we could have avoided that situation. We didn't. It's on us, and we got to fix it and not be in that situation next week. You no, know, you want guys that are pissed off about it, and you want that, you know, hey, I'm going to go back to work mentality, and I think all these guys got it, So, and that's what they're doing. You know, we went back, back to the base fundamentals yesterday and did some more today, and, you know, obviously that's been my philosophy forever. And that kicks off the Mike Riley era, a emotional loss to BYU. And Nebraska obviously had a chance to win that game. They were one second away, losing in a Hail Mary. Welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show here. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppen later on will be joined uh, by Nate Klaus. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about the game with Nate as well as recruiting. But uh, Robin, Dan, let, let's let's start off here. I mean, this, this was a game of roller coasters. I mean, Nebraska comes out of the gates. They execute that classic scripted drive, march right down the field uh, with their offense. Uh, BYU then uh, takes advantage of a kind of a second quarter collapse by Nebraska, goes up by 10. Then Nebraska responds with 14 consecutive points of their own. It looked like they were going to finish the deal, Robin. And then, um, you know, Nebraska's faced with two third and ones, one third and four in the fourth quarter. They could not convert any of those plays. They missed two field goals. They allowed BYU a chance, and BYU took advantage of that chance. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, you know, everybody looks at the Hail Mary play, but that game was full of what-ifs for Nebraska. I mean, they had so many opportunities to put that game away, uh, especially in the fourth quarter. That, that Those those third down, missed third-down conversions stand out to me as uh, far bigger plays than that Hail Mary. I mean, the Hail Mary was just a, a, a play a chance. I mean, those other third-down things, that, that was just Nebraska not being able to execute with the game on the line, with an opportunity to put to, to put a win away, and it came back to bite them. And uh, it was the ultimate gut punch, and uh, we were literally, you know, one second away from the storyline being, you know, how uh, resilient Nebraska was to come back from a deficit and, and pull out a win, and now we're talking about uh, how they're going to recruit after a, a crushing loss. Well, yeah, I mean, the end result was disappointing, but I was also encouraged by a lot of what I saw. And I think probably the biggest, one of the biggest takeaways that I got out of this is that Nebraska kind of got, like you mentioned, Sean, they kind of got hit in the mouth in that second quarter. They were outscored 17 to nothing. They came out in the third quarter, went three and out on their first drive, and it just kind of felt like a here-we-go-again type of thing. It felt like BYU might roll at that point. They had the lead. Everything was looking down. And then Nate Gary makes that pick. Everything turned around. I think the staff made some adjustments at halftime. They changed some things up. That was something we didn't see under the former yeah, staff. Yeah, and let me move on to that point of adjustments. Uh, you know, I've talked to different groups around the state this week and have heard from a lot of fans, and that, that was the – the most refreshing thing I think people liked about Saturday, and Blake Lawrence even said this on Big Red Wrap-Up Tuesday night, he goes, for the first time in a while, because Bill Callahan and Bo Pelini, they were not very good adjustment-making staffs. <laughs> not at all. And Blake played for both those coaches. Well, this staff made the adjustments, and I think 
we have learned one thing. Danny Langstorff is pretty good. I mean, this guy knows what he's doing. He has a very good handle on on, on Tommy Armstrong on what's going to work. Uh, they got to get the running game figured out, though, Robin, this week. I mean, that, that's the biggest thing for me. Yeah, clearly. I mean, the running backs have to be more involved just to take some of that pressure off Tommy. And you mentioned, you know, Danny Langsdorf, how, how impressive he looked. People keep in mind that this was a learning process for the coaching staff, too. I mean, this was their first chance to actually see what their players are going to do come game day against live competition. And I think that uh, what the, the team showed is going to really benefit the coaching staff in terms of how to best utilize these guys. And, uh, you know, some things that we've heard throughout uh, this past week is getting Tommy maybe more involved in the run game, uh, obviously getting the running backs more involved and uh, maybe just taking on a a bigger personality of physicality uh, offensively. I think it's also going to help a lot, and Danny Langsdorf discussed this the other day after practice, if Nebraska maybe shortens up that running back rotation a little Mm -hmm. bit. Because when you've got three guys who are getting between six and ten carries, which is what happened on Saturday, and they're rotating in and out every series, I mean, you're keeping them fresh, and that's good. But you're not really allowing those guys to establish a rhythm. And Mikhail Wilbon talked about that the other day. He said it's it's really tough as a running back if you're not getting consecutive carries or carries on consecutive drives. You know, it's hard to kind of get your feel for the game. So I think if Nebraska can kind of maybe find two guys that it wants to get the majority of the reps, maybe work the third guy in there, you know, every couple series or something, I think that's going to be beneficial. And that's something that we'll see moving forward. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppen, Robin Washett. We are putting a final take here on this BYU game as Nebraska now prepares for Saturday's 7 p.m. game with South Alabama. And I want to shift over just some big takeaways from the defense. And and really the thing that jumped out to me the most was the lack of pressure and just discipline at times shown by that front four. And I, I think that was something we noticed in the fall camp scrimmages. Tommy Armstrong had a lot of adequate time to throw. Uh, there wasn't a lot of pressure getting to him and then, you know, the discipline on Saturday, you just had a lot of guys, as uh, one coach told me, they were doing their own thing. And you saw that on the final play. Jack Gangwish, for example, instead of playing outside contain and keeping Magnum in the pocket, he tried to do a spin move dive in the middle through three Samoan linemen, and he fell on the ground and um, took out Malik Collins as well. So the three linemen that were rushing the passer to keep him in the pocket, two of them were on the ground. Jack Gangwish injures his elbow. He's going to be out multiple weeks now, and that allowed Magnum out of the pocket to make that throw. If he's in the pocket, he doesn't make that throw. He needed the full windup to make that throw 45 yards into the wind, and it barely got in the end zone then. So the discipline of the line play on defense was something that really concerned me on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. And you mentioned, you know, Jack Gangwish. He was one of the few guys I thought that did get some pressure. He got back and was, you know, around Taysom Hill and, and Mangum a couple times and wasn't able to bring him down. They eluded him, which is a problem. But uh, but now he's not available for the next couple weeks. So now you got Freedom. Um, he's stepping in there, but he's got exactly one game of experience under his belt. Ross Dezuris is the top backup. He's got one game of experience under his belt, recorded no Maybe stats. Maybe Marcus Newby. Yeah, maybe Marcus New, maybe even Michael Rose Ivy on passing downs. I mean, it's this is very much a feeling out process for this coaching staff because they're not really sure what they have at defensive end right now, and it just looks kind of scary. I don't know where the help is coming from. And one thing Mike Riley did say this week is he kind of politely said, "Hey, when we're rushing four, sometimes you're just not going to get to the quarterback when it's four on five or on that final play. They had seven. They had five linemen and two running backs, Max protecting. 
So you've got to kind of just know the numbers there and say, okay, realistically, we're not going to get to the quarterback. So our job is to try to keep the quarterback in the pocket and just contain the edge. So I just think the discipline is where it starts with that D line. Yeah, and I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. I mean, you don't want to, you know, do the pin your ears back bull rush against quarterbacks like Taysom Hill or Tanner Mangum. I mean, those guys will burn you. I mean, we saw it, how many times did Jack Gangwish almost have Hill in his grasp, and Hill would spin out of it and lay him and uh, you know roll out for a wide open pass. But I think you know, just as concerning about the inability to get to the quarterback is when the pass rush doesn't get there and doesn't kind of throw the timing off, that secondary is really exposed. Uh, I mean, we talked all fall about how the cornerbacks are going to be on islands and they got burned a few times. I mean, Josh Kalu and you know even Daniel Davey played really well, but at the same time, you can't ask cornerbacks to sit there and guard one-on-one for that long, especially when you have quarterbacks just sitting in the pocket with all day to throw. I mean, that, that's a recipe for disaster. BYU basically was scheming it so they could take the safeties out of the play mm-hmm. with their inside slot receivers, then putting those corners on islands, eight, eight completions of 20 yards or more for the Cougars in the yep. game. That's not getting her done, but I think a lot of it goes with the upfront play. So uh, lots to talk about here. We're going to talk more specifics on the running backs, on the offense, Tommy Armstrong, the offensive line. That's all next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We want to run the ball better with the tailback. We need to be that team that's just a better, more production in the running game with our tailback. We're going to throw some stuff in there with the quarterback. We're going to throw some stuff in there with the with the wide receiver, as you've seen a little bit, whether it's a reverse or a fly sweep. And we'll get our stuff there, but we need to be better running the ball with the running back. Like to like to narrow it down. Uh, as we looked at that film and evaluated a little bit more, I think we're getting closer to not having as much rotation in that in that group they, they came in and all played good minutes I just we've got to get into a little bit better rhythm with with a guy or two uh, than we were last week you know you always go in with a plan you know it's, it's definitely always best to go in with a plan so there was definitely a plan for those guys and we have specific plays for them and uh, that's why some of the rotations were as they were because certain plays got called and we wanted certain guys in uh yeah there was definitely a plan and there'll be a plan this week as there will be in all the following weeks so we'll uh, we'll have them ready and welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppen, Nate Klaus is now with us here, and Robin Washett as we're going to talk offensive storylines, and we're going to start off with this running back position. It's kind of been a hot-button topic for Husker fans, just trying to figure out who the guy is. And I think we spent most of August trying to figure out who the guy is because there really isn't that one separating running back. Nebraska's been spoiled uh, the last 10-plus years having these great running backs like Amir Abdullah, like Rex Burkhead, like Roy Halu, like Corey Ross, guys that, you know, were, were solid, you know, backs that can carry the load and you didn't have to worry much about that. Well, this is the first time they haven't had that. And we saw a lot of shuffling around. You heard Danny Langstorff, you heard head coach Mike Riley, you heard running backs coach Reggie Davis uh, kind of talk about the plan. Um, Robin, you get the sense this week they want to get it down to maybe two. Yeah, I think so. And unfortunately, like we all hoped that this game was going to kind of shed some light on who these, you know, top, you know, one or even two guys were going to be. And 
I don't know if that necessarily happened. I mean, each one of the guys struggled, but each one of the guys showed flashes, especially in that third quarter. All three of those guys really came up with big plays. And um, and I I still think Newby's probably going to be the first guy out of the gates. But the interesting thing is how much Wilbon made a push to surpass Imani Cross. I mean, Cross really didn't do a whole lot outside of a a run or two in the third quarter. And so we we saw kind of that electricity that we saw in fall camp from Wilbon. And I wonder just how much of an impression that made to get him more touches come game day. Yeah. If I if I'm buying stock in any of these guys, it's got to be Mikhail Wilbon. Um, you know, I, I don't know if he's a guy that you give the ball to, you know, 20 to 25 times like we've seen with Amir and Rex Burkhead in the past. But he's a guy who should get 15 touches a game. He's, I think, already their best receiving back, the best in the screen game. I think he does well offensively. Um, I I want to give a quick quote that he said on Monday. He said. Uh, the competition in the running back room is crazy. In practice, we get three or four carries, so we don't really get a good rhythm. In the game, I had six carries and couldn't get in a rhythm, but if I get in a rhythm, I'm going to get going. I think that just speaks to what, Give you, me the ball. Yeah, what you two both talked about. It's tough to kind of you know get your feet under you if you're not getting a number of carries. So if Nebraska is able to shorten this rotation up a little bit, I think you're going to see increased production across the board from these backs. Nate, you, you look at uh, Wilbon, I think what hurt him was the spring at times. He, he was so quiet in the spring, and then he came in the fall and just emerged. And I think if he would have had a stronger spring, maybe you know it would be different right now. But I, the fact that he just came out of nowhere, not nowhere, but uh, just turned it on in August, um, I think it kind of probably changed what the coaching staff, uh, what their plans were for that position. I'd agree with that. I mean, if you go back and look at the spring, I think you could argue that Adam Taylor had a better spring than Mike, you know, Mikhail Wilbon did. And those roles kind of reversed this fall. And uh, Wilbon just came out of nowhere and, and really, I think, opened a lot of eyes. And, and if he can become more of a consistent uh, guy, I, you know, I agree with Dan. I, I think that uh, he deserves more carries and, and can be that guy uh, going forward. Let's keep it moving. Moving here on the offense, Tommy Armstrong, 24 of 41, over 300 yards. It's the second game in a row. He's gone for over 300 when you count that USC bowl game. And um, you break down the overall day, uh, the, the throws where he struggled, it had to do more with the protection. I thought when you gave Tommy the time, and even BYU's coach Bronco Mendenhall said that this week, that his arm strength and throwing ability, um, you know, that ball he threw to Brandon Riley through that window in the middle of the field, there was no window. And he, I mean, it was caught what you want. That was a hell of a throw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's funny because, uh, you know, he made a lot of plays, but I think the points where he struggled is when he j- tried to do too much. You know, the, the two intentional grounding penalties, you know, the taking the sacks. I think he lost... I don't know how many 19 yards on sacks or something like that. And then the interception. I mean, that's kind of the one thing that's carried over from last year that I saw was just Tommy needs to learn when to just take throw a play away and not try to, you know, be a, be a hero on every single play. I wonder if that's the, the Brett Favre running into him a little bit with that. But uh, overall, though, I think Tommy looked very, very good and certainly an encouraging part of this offense to know that he looks more than ready to really take this offense on. And again, as the coaching staff knows what his strengths are and what he does the best, they're going to continue to pl- call the right plays for him and put him in good but do situations. You, Dan, Dan, do you run him more? I mean, or do you have to be protective with Tommy this week and, and protective with him knowing what the number two situation is? I think I'd like to see Nebraska run with him a little bit more. I went back and watched the game tape, and I only counted six quarterback runs the entire game. That's, I mean, Tommy, that, that's a big part of his game. He's a guy, he had over 700 yards rushing last year. If you're not using him in the quarterback run game, then, you know, you're not fulfilling his full potential. At the same time, 
you know, we saw him get dinged up and he wasn't even running. You have to protect this guy because the drop off from Tommy Armstrong to Riker Fife or whoever would come in next, that's a very steep drop, especially with this running game, you know, still kind of looking for its footing. You do not want to see and the sophistication of this offense. I I just think it's hard for any other quarterbacks to come in right now because it's a sophisticated offense that requires a, a veteran guy. Yeah, and your number two quarterback wasn't even here all summer to study plays. So, I mean, that, that kind of shows how far ahead he is both physically and mentally. Nate, let's move over to that offensive line. You know, Mike Cavanaugh stuck with that same five. Um, it's the group that he selected in fall camp. And, you know, I asked him this week, I said, hey, are, are you going to maybe look at playing anyone else different? And he goes, no, these are the five guys that earned it in camp. And they're my five and they don't plan to rotate. I mean, what is your thoughts on that O-line? BYU had a lot of good players on their defensive front, and, and it showed the way they dominated the interior. Well, I, first of all, I, I don't disagree with the notion that uh, – or, you know, with Kavanaugh's thinking that uh, he doesn't want to rotate those guys. I think it's I think it's important to roll with your starters and get those guys to gel, especially early on in the season. Um, and, and you mentioned the, the defensive line for BYU. I mean, those are some some really good players up front and, you know, maybe some of the better defensive linemen that this line is going to face, you know, all season long. So, you know, I'm not uh, too terribly concerned, you know, going back and watching the film. I am I was surprised that Chango Condolo kind of struggled the way he did, especially from what we saw in fall camp. You know, I, I thought that he had a really good fall camp. Uh, so, I mean, it's coming along, and I think Kavanaugh just wants to kind of write things out, first of all, and see, you know, get a better read on these guys. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus. We're talking offensive storylines as Nebraska now trying to bounce back from a very heartbreaking loss to BYU. They play South Alabama here Saturday. We'll have full coverage uh, here throughout the week and the weekend on HuskerOnline.com. And um, as we close offensive storylines, Robin and Dan, let, let's let's talk receivers um, I thought that was maybe the most consistent group on this offense. Uh, Dan, you recorded just one drop on the day, uh, but we saw Alonzo Moore emerge. Uh, Westerkamp had just a typical Westerkamp type of play where he scores the touchdown. Brandon Riley finally gets in the action. Um, we still want to see a little bit more Stanley Morgan, but I, I like that group on Saturday. Oh, it was very, very encouraging, uh, especially – I think with Jordan Westerkamp, especially with DeMornay Pearson and all that, we knew that this guy, we know he's a stud. We knew he was going to get a ton of targets. But to see Brandon Riley for the first time, his first, you know, real game, healthy action, come out and play very well was very encouraging. And Alonzo Moore, this guy's been so inconsistent throughout his career, but he was great on Saturday. Made a diving catch. He's a perfect fit for those end arounds and wide receiver screens, which Nebraska used him on. He could be a really nice fit for this offense. Yeah, and the best thing about it is that there you have Stanley Morgan sitting there waiting to get his targets too. I mean, he only had two catches for what, 19 yards, and mm-hmm. one of those was a 14-yard catch on that uh, third down drive where they end up taking the lead. So uh, he just shows that he's a playmaker. The kid's got all the confidence in the world, and uh, he's only going to get better with every game he plays. Lots to build upon for this offense here as they get ready for South Alabama. When we come back, we'll talk more defense now. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. The first thing about them is team speed. Their skill positions, they have a multitude of backs. They played uh, five backs last week. Very similar in characteristics. Explosive. 28 took a couple to the house. I mean, long distance and Gardner Webb. Uh, they didn't look like they were just, you know, flat-footed guys. I mean, 
And that was defensive coordinator Mark Banker giving his early thoughts on this Jaguar South Alabama offense that he's right. Very explosive bunch uh, last week in their game. I believe they had four plays uh, of 50 yards or longer um, as an offense. Um, so they kind of live by that big play. But it's going to be a, a different type of challenge for Nebraska's defense. Instead of more of a physical uh, team that, that kind of wanted to play vertical with their big receivers, South Alabama is going to be undersized receivers, undersized backs. Uh, it's going to be more lateral um, side-to-side stuff. And, and Robin, that's going to put Nebraska uh, and kind of test their tackling, I think, Saturday. Yeah, and really, when you talk to Nebraska's players and coaches, the one thing they say for both sides of the ball is, uh, you know, the team speed that they're going to see. Uh, and, you know, that goes back to, uh, like you mentioned, open field tackling. And, you know, Mike Riley and Mark Banker have talk, talked about how that's that's been a key for them, I mean, for the whole season, but especially on a game like this, when you're going up against just a lot of playmakers, you know, maybe not the biggest guys in the world, but guys that are going to beat you if you're not fundamentally sound uh, with, with your open field tackling. But uh, I think more than anything, it's just going to be winning up front. I mean, this defensive line has to control the line of scrimmage and, uh, you know, make uh, make, it just, make South Alabama just get, get the ball out in space and, you know, try and do some more trick plays as opposed to, you know, getting anything easy in the middle. I do think that, you know, we mentioned how you know, this is a more athletic team. They're going to try and do some more stuff maybe east to west. I think that that could kind of play into Nebraska's hands defensively. When you look at that back seven, I just see athletes everywhere from – Aaron Williams to Dedrick Young to Josh Banderas to to Nate Gary to any of those cornerbacks. Josh Kalou actually led the team with nine tackles. I mean, this this is a very That's usually not a good thing. <laughs> no, but I think he was making a lot of tackles in the running game. Like he had two tackles for loss. You know, he it wasn't that he was just letting guys catch the ball in front of him and then making the tackle. I thought he actually played pretty well. I didn't think he No, yeah, he played a great he game. He did give up that touchdown, but other than that, I thought he played well. So I, I think Nebraska's got a lot of speed and athleticism in that back seven that will help kind of negate um, some of that that we see from uh, South Alabama. And, Nate, what's different about this staff with their defense is the way they rotate on the defensive line. You know, we were used to seeing Bo Pelini playing a lot of D linemen, 70, 80 snaps a game. Mark, Mark Banker said they, they want to stick in that 40-per-snap game uh, with this defensive line, and, and we saw that. They don't care um, who the guy is. They, they will rotate fresh bodies, and – you know, I you kind of saw the method of the madness with the way BYU did start to wear out in the third quarter, and Nebraska was playing pretty fresh there, um, the way they were playing on defense in the second half. And Nebraska was getting more and more pressure as the game went along, and and the the big difference this week is going to be the quarterback. Uh, you know, the the I guess the the big word was lane integrity. You know, coming out of that BYU game, and um, and I think that's still going to be important. But you're not going to have a quarterback who's going to be a Taysom Hill type of guy who's going to be eluding and making plays and, and scrambling. He's more of a, your traditional pocket passer, and I think this uh, defensive line could have a, a chance to get after him a little bit. And the defensive end position is somewhat of a mystery this week. We know obviously Greg McMullen will be one of the main guys, but. Uh, Freedom Akamaladen will will be one of the defensive ends that starts this week. And Nate's laughing as I've said his name wrong now for five years. <laughs> and I'll keep saying it wrong. And then Ross Azuris uh, will play a lot more. He played on Saturday. But there's going to be somebody else playing as the fourth DN. We don't really know if that's A.J. Natter, uh, Cedric King, or maybe a Marcus Newby in, in that role. I mean, I don't know what direction they go. But uh, defensive end is definitely – 
a concern for me um, going forward. And I've heard this ganguish injury could be up to six weeks. I mean, I, I heard it could be a very long, long injury. And he's not going to be able to lift weights or anything. I mean, it's going to really slow him down and, and knock out most of his season. Yeah, certainly unfortunate. But I guess the one ray of optimism there is that uh, Frida Makamoladun uh, got the one sack in his first ever game as a Husker. And I think if, if nothing else, he showed a, a natural ability to rush the passer. And so that's one thing that we've been talking about, how much Nebraska's lacking right now. Uh, I think that the more snaps he gets, I mean, keep in mind, he hasn't even been playing this position for, what, about a year now? So uh, it, it's just going to take time for him. But we see the athletic ability and the natural instincts he has as a pass rusher that I think are only going to get better with time. I think it's all about game experience for him. He talked about that when you know, when he first got out onto the field, how nervous he was, and uh, he, a couple guys had to grab him by the, the helmet and say, "Hey, look, you know, focus in, get your head in the game, let's go." And and then all of a sudden he got a sack. So I think the more and more game experience he gets, uh, the more effective he's going to be as, as a pass rusher and an overall defensive end. You're listening here to the Husker Online uh, Show here, Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppen, Nate Klaus, Robin Washett. We're talking defensive storylines and. I want to segue over uh, to the secondary and Nathan Gary. Um, you know, they, they were in a point in that game Saturday where somebody needed to make a play, um, whether it was at Malik Collins or, or whoever. And it was Gary that stepped up and changed the game. And, um, you know, he has been such a good player since last year. And, and we saw that all throughout fall camp. But I think he's kind of become the vocal – guy of this defense, the the player that wants to take it on, Dan, and, and kind of lead uh, with his play on the field and, and verbally and, and obviously with backing it up with how he performs. Oh, th there's no doubt that Nathan Gary is the leader of this defense, I think. You know, you can make an argument whether he or Malik Collins is the best player, but they're both right there and uh, vocally, yeah, there, there's there's no question. He's the guy who, who gets this group going. And you could see, I mean, he gets that interception Saturday. Nebraska, like we talked about earlier, just looked dead in the water for about an entire quarter before that. He gets that interception. Nebraska goes on a 14-0 run. Uh, BYU only scored three points the rest of the game until that, uh, you know, the fateful Hail Mary, which, you know, kind of a fluky play. So I think that that play really inspired um, not only the defense, but even the offense, too. And that's the kind of impact that Nathan Gary can have on a game. Yeah, I just, I just love his body language and, and just, you know, <laughs> I like how he talks a little smack, has some oh, fun yeah. with it. and. Um, the secondary, though, those guys need to play better. It's going to be a different challenge this week. Um, we don't know for sure if Jonathan Rose returns. Uh, we know Michael Rose Ivy is going to return. And let's talk about Michael Rose Ivy. I, I do think you talk about vocal guys. He's another one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he, he's got a confidence, and a lot of guys respect him on that defense. And no knock on the other linebackers like a Luke Gifford that had to step in and start last week. But, Michael Rose is just a different player, Robin, and, and they, they want him, they need him on the field Saturday. You could make the case that Michael Rose Ivy is the best linebacker they have on the team. As good as Josh Benderis is, uh, what we saw in fall camp from him, he was such an explosive player, and more than anything, I think he might be their best, best pass rusher, and there's a reason they worked at him as a potential you know defensive end in the spring. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be a thing that they do you know this season, but uh, as far as the blitzing goes, I mean, he was such a factor. There were plays where the, the offense couldn't even get a playoff because he was getting in so fast. And uh, like you said, he's a vocal leader of that team, a respected guy. And when you add him in that defensive mix, I think the defense takes on a whole different shape. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. We're wrapping up thoughts on the defense uh, when you look at it. Yeah, let's talk close out here on Banderas. You know, he, he had a couple nice plays, a, a big third and one stop in the backfield, probably one of the 
better plays we've seen him make. Still battling, though, that nagging, growing injury. Uh, I talked to him briefly Monday, and it flared up on him. He sat out Tuesday's practice. That's going to be something that he's going to have to battle, and he knows his value uh, to this defense. I mean, he's taken three hours of treatment on that growing uh, during the day just to get himself ready to go this week. So uh, he's a guy, Nate, that they can't really afford to lose, and, and hopefully that won't be something that slows him down. Well, yeah, he's right there in the middle of the defense, and um, you know, a guy that they're counting on. They really they can't afford to lose uh, Josh Banderas right there uh, with all of his experience and everything that he brings to the table. Uh, so he's going to have to get healthy and, and continue to be that playmaker there. We'll shift over now and, and give our stock watch report next. We'll talk about what players, what trends are going up and, and what things are going down. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, with a line like that, you kind of just got to go out and run the ball, establish the run really early. You know, they're going to try and stunt and they're going to blitz a lot. Um, very similar to you know what we saw last year with McNeese. You know, real smaller guys like to blitz a lot. They're going to set up the box. Safeties really read on the run. So we got to really come out and establish a run early to set up for our passes downfield. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Watchett, Dan Hoppen, Nate Klaus. And we are in the stock watch segment. That was senior offensive lineman and captain Alex Lewis talking about just maybe the running struggles Nebraska had last week and how important it is they get it established. And we start the stock watch segment, guys. Uh, I'm going to say stock down Nebraska's running offense. Um, it's been a while since they've uh, really struggled to consistently maybe be a 200-yard game, a 200-yard team. They got 91 yards out of the tailbacks. Tommy Armstrong only had six carries. That needs to be fixed this week. Yeah, the struggles came on you know, three different levels. For one, the running backs were basically a non-factor. Two, the offensive line couldn't get a push when it needed to. And three, the coaching staff had some pretty questionable play calling, especially in those pivotal third and shorts, you know, doing a, a jet sweep to Jamal Turner with the game on the line. I think that was probably one of the most head-scratching calls that you could possibly have in that game. And also, just real quick, penalties. Nebraska had a ton of penalties that kind of put them behind the markers and kind of forced them to pass a little bit more. And you know, just dumb – like Aaron Williams pushing that guy late. Exactly. I mean, they get yeah. the – on Nathan Gary's interception, they got pushed back 15 more yards. Mm -hmm. But let's stick on now. Let's go to stock up. Dan, what do you have for your stock up this week? Dedrick Young did not look like a freshman out there. I mean, we've been talking all along how, you know, he, he does not look like a freshman physically at all. Well, mentally, he looked pretty good out there for his first game action on Saturday. I mean, he wasn't perfect, obviously. You wouldn't expect him to, but he had seven tackles, second best on the team. He broke up a pass. Uh, both Mark Banker and linebackers coach Trent Bray raved about him this week. He looked great for his opening performance. Nate Klaus, what do you have for your stock up? I'm going to go with wide receiver Alonzo Moore. Uh, had his breakout game. Looks like the light has finally gone on for him. He's as confident as he ever has been. Playing all four special teams, had a huge uh, special teams play on that, that punt where he knew the rule. Where no one in the stadium knew the rule yeah. but him. Yeah, he knew that, that as long as he had possession of that ball before he went into the end zone, that it would be down you know, where, where he established possession. And, and that was a huge play had the defense been able to, to pin, them, you know, pin them back there. Robin Washett, what how about you stock up this week? I'll uh, piggyback off that and just go wide receivers in general. I mean, we talked about Alonzo Moore and how big of an impact he made before he got hurt. 
Jordan Westerkamp looked as good as ever. Uh, Brandon Riley came up with a couple big plays and was one broken tackle away from getting you know his finally first touchdown. And uh, even Stanley Morgan had a couple big catches. So uh, don't forget your boy Lane. Oh yeah, my boy Lane Hovey. I told I'm telling you guys key end zone targets. <laughs> telling you guys, I've been saying it since spring. The guy's a stud. So uh, receiving core in general lived up to the hype. I have two quick ones here. Mikael Wilbon stock up for me this week, and then just the adjustments made by the staff. I think those were, were really good things to see. Uh, let's let's go over now uh, to stock down. Um, Dan, what do you want to start out with here? I'm going to start out with uh, the hit that knocked David Sutton out, what looks like could be for a considerable portion, if not the entire rest of the season. Tommy Armstrong throws a pass to the sidelines. It overthrew Sutton. The ball clearly passed him, not even close. The play was over, and a BYU player just dives at David Sutton's legs, takes him out, and now he had to be carted off the field. Looks like he's done for, if not the entire season, most of the season, and for you know a, a fifth-year senior who That's was finally deal. getting his first playing time. Oh, it's devastating. It it just you feel for the kid, especially to be taken out on a cheap play like that. Nate Klaus stocked down for the week. Uh, the kicking game. You know, you missed two key field goals in that game. You have uh, your starting punter go down. So, uh, you know, that's uh, the kicking game. Uh, are, they're searching for answers right now. I, I will say, though, stock up to Tyson Brockmeyer, the way oh, yeah. he handled the situation. Yeah. I don't know a lot of guys that could have stepped in and just maintained the poise. But that's Tyson Brockmeyer. We've yeah. known this kid for many years, and that's the guy he's been ever since we've seen him in the Shrine Bowl when he was MVP. Robin, what do you have stocked down? Uh, you know, I'll probably just piggyback off Nate again uh, and just say the officiating or with from Dan again and say the officiating in general. I mean, there was not only was there, uh, you know, that that questionable David Sutton no call, but there was a couple other plays where I think Nebraska kind of got a, a raw end of the deal. Uh, one in particular, you go back to that final drive uh, where Greg McMullen went down with an injury. Uh, was that a third down on that play? It was a second down. A second there down. 31 seconds left. The 31 seconds left. And uh, was it Taysen Hill or no, uh, uh, Magnum scramble. He's tackled about a yard and a half short. It looked like there was a screenshot that uh, was circulating Twitter. And he's well short of the first down mark. They gave him the first down. With no timeouts. No timeouts that allowed him to stop the clock. And, uh, you know, I think that was just, you know, one of a, a couple questionable calls there that uh, really went against Nebraska's favor. And don't forget the hands-to-face call oh, on yeah. Kevin Maurice. I think it was on Taysom Hill's second touchdown run. If you go back and watch that. He's getting mauled in the face by the offensive lineman, and he gets the penalty called on him. I mean, if they flip that call, it takes a touchdown off the board and backs BYU 15 up 15 yards. yards. Yeah, that's a huge play. And I'll close my stock down. Uh, Big Ten West kind of gets off to a slow start. You know, not a surprise, though, Wisconsin lost to Alabama. Uh, Corey Clement was limited in the game. Uh, Minnesota looked tough against TCU, but they lost. So the three favored teams in the West all start out with a loss. But on the flip side, Northwestern beat Stanford. And Iowa looks really good against Illinois State. And Illinois State was the runner-up in FCS last year. So that wasn't exactly just a, a cupcake game. You could argue playing Illinois State was probably better than playing a lot of MAC teams. And Iowa jumped up 31 nothing. So the Big Ten West, very much a five-horse race here as we sit in Week 2. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I mean, I, I think that uh, there were a lot of questions going into the conference. And Week 1 just added a few more. Robin, Dan, we'll see you guys up in the press box on Saturday. It should be a uh, entertaining night game. Nebraska, South Alabama, 7 p.m. BTN Network. We'll have full coverage as well on HuskerOnline.com. We'll close the show with Nate Klaus, as we always do, and we'll get the latest on recruiting. This is HuskerOnline.com. 
your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, we're closing it out like we do each week on recruiting, and we are in full swing of official visit season, Nate. Uh, first of all, though, let's start with um, really the breaking news from last week, but not really the surprising news. We kind of set, we've been setting the table on this the last couple of weeks. Terry Wilson uh, <laughs> reopens his commitment to flip his commit to Oregon. I mean, that was a pretty quick reopen uh, as he took that. The minute I saw the post of the picture of him at Oregon, you kind of knew, well, it's over. Yeah, well, you kind of knew before that visit that uh, as long as he had a good time out there, it was going to be over. So, yeah, Terry Wilson decommits from Nebraska, commits to Oregon, and uh, that that saga finally comes to an end. And you know, and obviously not a not the ideal situation for Nebraska as they wanted to take two quarterbacks in this class, and and they identified Terry Wilson and and obviously Patrick O'Brien as the two guys that they wanted. However. You know, with the emergence of, of Patrick O'Brien, how well he's doing this season, he's absolutely on fire. He's completing 82% of his passes uh, for over 300 yards a game, has rushed for four or five touchdowns already. already. And he's an early enrollee. And he's an early enrollee. All of that stuff right there. I mean, he's about the the perfect fit for this offense. Um, so the the fact that he's coming in early kind of, you know, mitigates the loss of, of Terry Wilson. And, uh, and, and they're sitting well with uh, Tristan Gebbia, the 2017 Rivals 100 quarterback too. So I'm not so sure that they'll go after another quarterback in this class unless he's absolutely stud that that is a perfect fit and don't you think when you look at O'Brien I mean the odds of him being the number two are pretty good right now when you look at the situation today uh, A.J. Bush, Zach Darlington and Riker Fife just have not shown that they can really be a guy to push Armstrong where O'Brien I think next year could come in and and, and provide some push and, and be a solid number two. Given O'Brien's skill set, his arm strength, I mean, everything that, that he has, he's the total package. And, and I would not be surprised if after spring ball, you know, he's sitting as that number two quarterback and, and they're kind of maybe able to, to groom him. Maybe they don't redshirt him. Maybe they try to get him, you know, some time next next year to, to make sure that he's ready to roll, you know, uh, as soon as Tommy Armstrong graduates. Do we know what game he's coming in yet for? Uh, Patrick O'Brien will be taking his official visit for the Wisconsin game. Okay. And then uh, let's move now on to the BYU weekend. Nebraska had a handful of officials and a select group of high-profile unofficials uh, give us a rundown, first of all, of the official visitors in town. Uh, Greg Simmons, obviously the linebacker commit for Nebraska. Uh, and if there was any doubt that, that uh, you know, where, where his, you know, uh, his loyalty to Nebraska kind of lies, you know, he comes out on the, the sidelines wearing a hat that says Greg signs to Nebraska. So he's, he had a custom hat made and, and is all about Nebraska. Uh, and he was recruiting the other official visitors uh, that were in town extremely hard, um, you know, including in the rivals 250 wide receiver Darian Owens who's currently committed to UCLA uh, and, and came into this visit saying that it was going to take an awful lot for him to even think about flipping from UCLA but now all of a sudden uh, following the visit he's decided not to do any interviews doesn't really want to talk about um, the, how the visit went or, or what his status is with UCLA and and from you know everyone that I've talked to it, it's 
probably because he had an absolutely great time in Nebraska, and he's he's kind of uh, on the fence right now. So I think you know Nebraska really knocked his socks off and, and opened his eyes, and gave him something to think about. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens right there uh, with Darian Owens, and then you've got offensive tackle uh, Tremaine Ankrum out of Georgia, um, you know, who had visited back in June and made a return trip to Nebraska. And, you know, one interesting thing, you know, that he said when I spoke with him is that, um, you know, he was kind of glad to, to – not that Nebraska lost, but uh, to be able to, you know, since they did lose, he was able to see everyone's true character because, you know, the, the it was – whenever when you win, it's all sunshine and lollipops and everyone's happy and things are great and everything. But, you know, when you face adversity, you know, you kind of see, you know, some people's true character sometimes. And, and he said he was able to, to really see what the coaches are like in, in you know, non-ideal situations and what the players are like. And, and he really liked the way – the, the, the team and the coaches responded to everything and really liked that family atmosphere in Lincoln. We're talking recruiting with Nate Klaus here on the Husker Online Show as we close out the this week's edition with Nebraska-South Alabama. 7 o'clock game, Nate, and that always means um, recruiting opportunities, and especially when you've kind of got a game where you, you should win handily. The Huskers are about a four-touchdown favorite um, this will be a big weekend for Nebraska to to get some guys in here. Um, give us a rundown of, of who's been confirmed at this point. Right now you've got four official visitors, uh, really from all corners of the country. Uh, you start off with Quayshon Alexander, the, the linebacker commit out of New Jersey. Uh, this will be his second time visiting. Um, he committed shortly after he t- you know, took the trip in June for Big Red Weekend. And, um, you know, and this is an important visit for him because he's recently come out and said that he's going to you know, take trips to probably Pittsburgh and Virginia Tech and maybe even to Notre Dame. And, and so uh, this is a very important trip to him um, in Nebraska – hopefully, you know, solidify his commitment a little bit more. Uh, You've got four-star safety Eric Burrell out of Maryland, um, you know, who's kind of down between Nebraska and Wisconsin. Those are kind of his top two schools at this point in time. So another crucial visit uh, for him at a a position of need. And also, you know, when you're you're going against a a division foe, you you always want to win those recruiting battles. So Eric Burrell is an important visitor this weekend. Uh, Tight end commit – or tight end uh, Dante Coleman, who's actually committed to – Texas Tech uh, is kind of a, a surprise on the list. And, you know, with Nebraska missing out on Noah Fant, uh, they, they've gone after Dante Coleman extremely hard. And he's, you know, struck up a really good relationship with tight ends coach Tavita Thompson and, and is uh, going to be coming to Lincoln to see what uh, the Huskers are all about, you know. And, and he committed to Texas Tech extremely early, uh, I, th- I believe last March. And really that was the only visit he took was out to Lubbock. So uh, if, if Nebraska can get him on campus, and, and we always say, you know, get a kid on campus, you're going to have a shot with him and I think if um, he's impressed with what he sees uh, Huskers could have a chance at flipping him and then you've got Darian Grimm that wide receiver out of uh, out of California who's currently committed to Boise State but Nebraska just recently offered following his first game of the year he, he comes out uh, opening opening game of his senior season has seven touchdowns uh, and then follows that up with a four touchdown performance last week so through two games has 11 touchdowns including uh, you know a 90 yard kickoff return his kids electric and Keith Williams absolutely loves him and and Darren Grimm absolutely loves Keith Williams and his resume too so uh, important weekend this uh, this weekend and you're just going to see a lot more of it Nate with kids that will take visits that committed early just because guys feel that pressure in April and May to commit somewhere because the coaches put that pressure on them to reserve that spot in the restaurant but then they want to get a spot maybe in a nicer restaurant and you're going to see guys that are maybe committed to Texas Tech 
come to Nebraska. It's just, this is how recruiting has changed the last few years. It's just the culture that, that we live in now with the whole recruiting environment, you know, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, uh, you know, these kids and the coaches, you know, there's so many rules that, that kind they of can't pre- take official visits well, till September. Exactly. And it prevents them from really getting to know uh, the coaching staffs very well. So, uh, you know, you feel comfortable with one coaching staff, but then all of a sudden, you know, you make a commitment because you feel a little bit of pressure there. And then all of a sudden, you know, um, you know, a couple other staffs really, you know, keep with you and keep recruiting you and you get to know them a little better. And, and there's some doubt all of a sudden, you know, and you want to go check a couple places out and, and that's what everyone else is doing. They're, they're committing and taking visits. So it's okay for you to do it. And it's just a, it's just an odd environment an odd culture that we live in. But, uh, you know, that's, it's just the way it is. And the fact is, is you have to recruit your, your commitments just as hard as you do your, your non-committed players now. Well, it'll be a busy weekend. Uh, Nate Klaus and, and Mike Mattia and Brian Munson, our Husker Online recruiting team, uh, will be on top of all the news. So make sure you, you stick online uh, this weekend. Um, starting right away on Saturday, Nate will have a full photo gallery posted of the visitors by around halftime usually of the game. And then uh, we'll have full visit updates running Saturday night and, and Sunday morning uh, with all the official visitors. So, Nate, looking forward to the coverage and, and good luck this weekend. All right, thanks. All right, that signs it off here for another edition of the Husker Online Show. Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics.